It always feels like a waste when they make one movie for 200 million dollars when that's like 3 billion rand. We could make a hundred South African movies. Critical analysis is like a thing that's like studied, you know, mm -hmm. like how to give good crit criticism is like a thing that can be learned mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can tell a dif the difference between someone who gives real good critical analysis versus, I don't know, someone who says that they like like or dislike it. But I do believe that there is a much bigger gate for filmmakers now with law form, and I think that's why you said so many of like filmmakers have migrated. Hey guys, it's Caleb and Yaku and Mark and welcome back to Department Spotlight where we speak to our friends and colleagues about their experiences in the film industry. And today we are the friends and the colleagues together. Yep. Sorry, no guests. And in today's episode, we're going through 10 questions that get film lovers arguing uh, as a part of dummies, you know, the whole filmmaking for dummies, etc. for dummies, et for, you know what I mean? <laughs> so they've got this article, 10 questions that get film lovers arguing. And we thought, I mean, what better way to get film lovers arguing on a podcast. So, uh, yeah, let's jump into it. Uh, just a side note, we might, Yaku and Mark might get a bit physical, but, you know, as it happens on the podcast, I'll dis describe the, the violence as it goes along. <laughs> Question one, is cinema dead? So, yeah, I think for me, I think it was in the 90s where they saw, like, like in the 90s, when it, like what I think of when they're asking is cinema dead, is like people still going, is it still making money, is it still like a thing like that? And I think if you look at how it was in the 90s versus how it is now, in the 90s, like a film would make like 60 million and they would see that as a success. But nowadays, like only like I think it's since like the Spider-Man movies in the 2001s and going more upwards, I think for some reason, people think that a film hasn't been successful if it doesn't make like over 200 million or something like that. And so I think in that way, a lot of people thought in the 90s that cinema was going to be dying out because I know the numbers were going down. And all of a sudden, we started getting all these big cinema hits that hit the box office and started going up. So I would say cinema is not dead. If anything, we're breaking new records in terms of box office numbers. But in terms of story and in terms of original story and stuff like that, I would say that we are having a drought in terms of what is like um, what studios are funding um, and, and, and what's making money back because what they see as successful um, is not necessarily the truth about the matter. I don't know if you guys interpret the question yeah. in a different way. So I think, I, 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 yeah, that's a good interpretation. I think it's not, it's not that there aren't stories. It's like you say, the, the studios aren't funding them because there's this obsession with making money back, mm. right? Back then, obviously there's inflation and whatever, whatever. So 60 million would have been 200 million now. Mm. Maybe. I, I don't know the exact numbers. But back then as well, they, would, they wouldn't spend 200 million on a movie. Whereas now, they True. spend 200 million on a True. movie. But it's also like, like, fine, spend the 200 million and make your money back. But then they expect that 200 million dollar movie to also make a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. You know? True. So they, they want a 5x return. So in order to get that, they only fund the mass appeal stuff, mm -hmm. meaning that the smaller stuff don't or struggle to get made. Even though, like if you think about it, 
let's say the Irishman, which cost what three hundred fifty million, or was it two hundred million? What such a big budget? It was a huge budget from Netflix, right? Netflix funds thousands of things, right? Mm. And they don't expect because they don't do theatrical releases that often. They don't expect that one movie to make all that money back, but they expect that movie to attract new subscribers. Mm. Now the problem with the studios is they want to make 5x return but like it's not like they're going to take that 5x and then put it into other movies that might not do as well mm. they're going to put that money into more movies that they also expect to make a 5x yeah. return so i think i think there's a there's an issue with the people who fund the movies and then want to keep the money instead of putting it back into movies so in the 90s there were a lot of middle budget movies and I feel like they aren't really being invested in anymore by studios. Um, it's either sort of extreme blockbusters or there's like independent cinema. Mm. And yeah, I feel like that's that's a thing that is, has died. <laughs> but in general, I don't think cinema has died or will ever die because mm. I think it's an ever-changing thing. It's like, I think nothing ever dies. It's just something new comes along and then it's just like phases to everything. So... If you look, they used to like it, it was like there was plays, and then when forms came out, plays thought the theater would die. But it just mm -hmm. kind of changed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then when when talking forms came out, then those actors thought, no, so the world like things are going to change. And when TV came out, they thought, okay, no, this is the new top dog. And then streaming came out, they thought it would kill TV. But none of them actually really died. I think they all just kind of switched gears. But all those art forms remain the same, you know, because it's always going to be... I mean, I think all of them did, like, suffer a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think they did suffer, but I think they still, like... Because if you look at theatre, it's become more prestigious more than anything now. Like, if you look at, like, if an actor says, okay, I've been in this, but as soon as I said I've been on Broadway, it kind of gives it more status also as well. So I think I think it's more about shifting and things are always going to change. And I think in those transition periods, it can seem scary and you do think things are going to die. But I think it's just a shift. And I think... That's why you're saying middle middle budget films don't make it anymore. But it's because I think the shift in mindset with studios, like if you look at Blade Runner when it came out, it was like such a big thing, mm -hmm. and then the sequel came and it literally lost money because they banked so much. You're talking about the original Blade Runner because that didn't do that well. That didn't right? do well either. <laughs> no, it literally performed like exactly the same way that the sequel. Well, the studio must have known what they were doing. Here's my thing though, right? If you, it's fine, make, make, the, make the 200 million that makes a billion. Mm -hmm. But then you got to consider like you, $200 million is either like one movie or it's like 10, $20 million movie. Mm -hmm. And like $20 million is a lot for a mm -hmm. movie. I mean, I feel like for me, that's 200 million rand, right? That's 300 million rand if we put it in. And there are no South African movies that get that budget. Mm -hmm. We get maybe... 20 million rand which is less than two million dollars mm -hmm. for a big budget movie in this country so i i was i mean i'm sure there's like unions and what 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 but it always feels like a waste when they make one movie for 200 million dollars when that's like three billion rand we could make a hundred south african movies with that one movie mm -hmm. so it feels like a waste but you know at the same time i i don't think those movies would look to that quality if they were made for cheaper. So and, I, and I also think like the way things are funded is not because the studios are just pulling things out their thumb. I think it's from the market research of what makes money and what doesn't. So they're obviously going to fund mm -hmm. into these other movies. And I think 
just because like people aren't watching like the middle budget movies like it's only like A24 and all of those things that will fund those kind of films so I think it's the studios that specialize in that like you said like the independent films where they fund that thing but I think it's from the bigger studios doing the research and seeing what makes money and when they do take risks most of the time in today's day and age honestly speaking they usually crash or like they usually bomb out in the box office and it kind of sucks that the quality of the movie is judged by the box office and not actually the quality of the story but I think that's the day and age we're living in now where the box office mm. people are saying like that is equal to how good the movie is when it could be the complete opposite like the Fast and the Furious franchise makes so much money but they're not at all the best stories you know I think the reason people think like original cinema if you could say that or like original stories are dead is because they, they like to equate it to the box office, but I don't think that's what you should measure it by. Mm. But I think that's what become, what's become the norm. I was thinking about middle-budget movies again, and we were talking about Netflix. I think those kinds of movies are on Netflix now, you know, mm. those kind of middle-budget movies. So mm. it's, yeah, it's adapted and changed. I'd still like to see those kind of middle-budget movies in the cinema as well. And sometimes they do happen in, in the sort of mainstream cinemas, but they're like usually just comedies and usually the mm. high-budget comedies are not really like my speed. But yeah, Net, I think Netflix has taken up that mantle of making those like really good, mm. you know, mm. not super high-budget, not like mm. low-budget, but like, not there's not, I mean, there's amazing movies at all budget levels, but you know what I mean? It feels mm. like for a while, there was that kind of gap. That's long. Yeah. yeah. And I think also another genre that also kind of, um, that I've noticed besides the superior genre and the remakes and all that, that usually I see like they get quite a bit of money back on small budgets is the horror genre because a lot of people also into that market like where you'll see like, um, not really, it's not really like, people say it's horror and stuff, but like movies like Get Out and stuff like that where you have small mm-hmm. budgets and they make so much in return and paranormal activity, Play Witch Project and all that. I think that's also one of the forms where they can have smaller budgets but still get a, quite a the return back on, yeah. on the rest. All right, so the next question is, has digital cinema destroyed realism? This is a dumb question now. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yaku and Mark, go. <laughs> Tell me how it has destroyed realism. No, I mean, we were having an argument the other day about film and digital, and I thought that you should keep film alive. And Yaku thought we should move on. I don't think digital cinema has killed realism. I, yeah. I also don't think it's killed it, but I agree with Mark where I do think that you should keep film alive. Well, I think they should have both. Here's the thing, right? You shoot on film, and Mark sent me this really cool article about how they are preserving a bunch of film reels in a nuclear bunker, right? Cool, preserve it all you want, so nobody's going to watch them. What's the point? The film is there to be watched, and now it's just sitting in a nuclear bunker. What? It's national, but it's you a film registry. That's like them keeping it in the registry and then there's like a list of them. They could be accessed in other means as well. I think, I mean, just digitize them. Film for the longest time was the only way that you could record light and keep it and display it without it like getting ruined or whatever. And like, fine, that was great. It had its time. It did the thing. Now we've got the digital. We store it on hard drives. The hard drives don't break. You can make multiple copies that don't lose any quality. Let's just move on. But also for me personally, I do not prefer, but I do also just sometimes feel like there's such a different taste to film. Like you know, watching Master of None and we found out they shot that on film. And I'm not saying it's more realistic, but I just sometimes like how like narratives look on it. You know what I mean? True, but I mean, it's that was less like a realistic whole, for me. That was a whole like 
multitude of things. They do the long, single, wide shot thing. They they don't do any camera movements. They use the lighting techniques. It's not just that fact that it was shot on film. You could recreate no, that but very I, no, easily. No, but in general, like, I so, think just for certain movies, I just, like, just in a, like even, like, if you look at... I don't know if Mark's going to agree with this because I don't know if he likes the director, but with um, The Hateful Eight, that was shot on film, wasn't it? I, I didn't see any difference. So they shot it on the biggest sensor they could, which means that it was just as good as digital. Like, there's no, there's no film quality at at what 65 millimeter but I, like, I'm not talking about in terms of the quality I just mean the look it doesn't look more realistic for me it actually looks a bit more like dream world if I can say in my opinion that's kind of why I like it because sometimes the colors seem a bit more warmer if that makes sense I think it's it's a process and it's also the, the tool that you want to use like just because you can replicate it perfectly on digital I was saying to Yaku that just because there's been like, for example, people only used to use oil paints to create mm-hmm. a painting. But then, you know, things have developed and changed, but people still make oil paintings. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, oil painting is also cheap and easy to do, whereas film, like movie film, is not cheap and easy to make. Well, I read it at a certain budget level, it becomes negligible. But I think we do all agree that it does not, answering the question, yeah. it does yeah. not. So here's a big one, because I think we actually have some friends who are these. But anyway, <laughs> are film critics still worth reading in today's age? Or what do they mean for film? I it, I think it depends on the critic. I think there's been a lot of critics these days who, un, who just write cool things. Like there's this guy in in the Free State for, I don't know if it's just the Free State. I'm not going to say his name, <laughs> but he makes does movie reviews and my grandmother swears by his movie reviews. If he says it's a good movie, she'll watch it. Oh, okay, cool. But the movies that he recommends are so average. Like it's not, And he's not like a film buff. He didn't make movies. He didn't study film. He's just a guy that got a job and now he's like the expert on movies in the free state. And it's like, no... Your you so your his reviews are so average. They don't describe anything, and he never reviews something that he doesn't like. So there's never any like opinions. It's always just like it's a good movie. It's got this. It's got this. Go watch it. And it's like no, it's lame. Mm-hmm. I think I think for me when when I'm thinking about this question, I think like if I'm trying to interpret how they're asking it, like I feel like because of social media today and because everyone has access to I sound like such an old man, but because everyone has access to the internet and stuff. Everyone has kind of become a film critic, if that makes sense. And like, if you look at platforms like uh, Rotten Tomato, where the audience gets to put in their two cents, and then you can kind of have this manipulation where people, just because they hate a movie, they get together as a group to try and bring down that movie's score. Review bombing. Yeah, review bombing. And, and that's been the case with a lot of films. So I think, you know, I think you have to kind of be picky. I do think critiques have their, their place, but sometimes they can get it really wrong because in the past we've seen where critics will literally hate a movie and it becomes a cult classic. So I think, I don't think they, like, I don't think you can discard them, but I think you can learn a lot from them. But sometimes I think they can be a bit picky when it comes to the filmmaker, especially when they don't know how much hard work went into even a bad film, you know, like this on all the different levels besides the writer and director. So I'm like, sometimes I'm not the biggest fan of reading reviews, but um, 
I do think they are necessary for someone, if, they, if they're genuine, for the director or whoever on the set or the actor to learn if there is a mistake they made. I do think they are necessary in that way. Mm. I think that the like, art of critical analysis is like, incredibly important. Mm-hmm. But I think what a lot of sort of... I also sound like I'm an old fuddy-duddy, but like, <laughs> Funny like sort of couch, um, couch sort of critics don't mm-hmm. realize is that critical analysis is like a thing that's like studied. You know, like mm-hmm. how to give good crit- criticism is like a thing that can be learned. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can tell a dif- the difference between someone who gives real good critical analysis versus, I don't know, someone who says that they like like or dislike it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't care if you like or dislike it. Like, mm-hmm. I want to read a piece that yeah. by itself is like a good, well-written right thing as well. Mm-hmm. It can be about... It doesn't even have to be about a film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If the write-up about the thing is like an in, is like an engaging piece of writing as well, I think is very important. And it's not that's kind of the thing that's not really focused on anymore, which mm-hmm. is kind of a shame. You know what, though? I think the sort of 21st century way of doing film criticism, which is video essays, is much better than... Um, you know, writing a piece in a newspaper. A tabloid kind of thing. Exactly, because nobody, I mean, people read that still, but the, the people who do that, you know, they do it as a job, whatever. The people who do it on YouTube are like passionate about movies. They they talk about things that they liked, but also disliked and what they liked and what they disliked. Exactly like what, what Mark is saying right now. It's like video essays are the old criticism. Because if you think about theater reviews, right? Those I feel like those are still good because it's not like a variety and the critic gets to choose. He likes this one, so he's going to review this one. It's like, there's the theater. You go to that theater and whatever showing you watch, and then you'd say, okay, this actor was bad, this, but the story was good and this and this and this. And that's that's like a good criticism in that, I think, because not, not everybody can just be a theater critic critic right but it seems like anybody can just be a movie critic so i think i agree do do you think then for like a filmmaker a filmmaker should either like focus more on the critic's opinion or like on the general audience or do you think it's a balance of the two or i think just ignore the critics (laughs) get get the, the people who do video essays see what they think and do what do you think about like audience responses to things like when oh yeah no audiences i mean depends on what you're making but i think if you're not making it for the audience, yeah. then because I know a lot of people where they're like they're like like because they study the the film so deep, they look at it more as like the anatomy of how they made that movie and they respect it more, and then sometimes forget about the story or how much it's meant to affect your emotions and stuff like that. Like if you look at films like Dunkirk or things like that, where uh, critics will like talk about how technically brilliant it is versus they like where the audience will respond more because they're not used to that. They'll have more of an emotional connective because uh, the connection to because like if I take myself for an example before I went to film school like I have different opinions of movies before and after film school like I feel like I become such a like snob sometimes and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing should I sometimes just take myself back to that kid that just watches a movie or like what's the approach when it comes to filmmaking now do you then apply that to yourself you know well I, I really like a film critic called Mark Commode he's mm-hmm. the he's a, a British critic the thing about it I think is you're thinking about sort of taking the critic and they're only going to analyze all things as like high art. And if it's not high art, then it's like Mm. terrible. But he has this really good approach where he's like, 
able to see critically like who the audience is like what the film is like playing towards you know what i mean mm-hmm. and you'll like review it through that lens you know what i mean mm-hmm. if it's like a, a sort of a family oriented orientated film or something or something that's meant to be like just a great like popcorn movie mm-hmm. he's gonna think about it through that lens you know what i mean mm-hmm. but it, but you get some critics that are like uh, like a popcorn movie through like a high art lens or like vice versa mm-hmm. and it's like don't do that. <laughs> I think that's kind of cool. That's not what the director was going for. So why are you comparing to something that's not? Exactly. I think that critic you're speaking about now, I think that's like, I think the perfect way to kind of do it is kind of see what it's aimed towards. What's the purpose of the movie? It's meant to be a fun time or, or what? Because like if you take like a child, like you said, try and view Transformers as this higher concept form, <laughs> you're going to give it a pretty bad review. But if you see it as a, like a fun thing for kids to go see, it could end up being something like a good different. critic I think is able to say I don't think this film is particularly for me specifically but I'm able to see X, Y and Z for the audience it's for you know what I mean the next one is do film stars matter anymore I think it's important I think film stars are important at certain budget levels and also to get funding because like if you're a low budget filmmaker and you're trying to get $2 million, which to us is like 30 million rand, which is, that's like our top level budget. People who are going to give you money are going to give you money because of the people who are in your movie, because those people have a reputation for bringing people to the cinemas and giving them money. Yeah. So I think it's important to get funding, but I don't think it's important. Like, I don't think an actor should be irreplaceable. I think, I think when it comes to certain well-known actors, when you listen to them in interviews, you find out why they're so big because of like how well they train and how well they can sing and dance and they can literally do any, like not any part, but they like, you can see they're trained in their craft. And I think there's a, there's a reason they are where they are. And I think when you see new people coming in, they slowly then you see them start becoming the new film stars. Because I think it's not really some, like sometimes it is the case where it's just like a really handsome face in front of a camera and that's about it. But sometimes when you listen to the interviews of some of these actors like Jake Gyllenhaal and, and all these other people, yeah. they really respect the craft and there's a reason they are where they are. And they're so hardworking. And I think that goes even with big name directors. They're not just there because they got lucky into it. I think it's because they're so hardworking that those are the names that's still on top. And then there's those new names coming in. And when you listen to them, they sound like the younger versions, all those guys who are just so hardworking. So I don't think it's a movie star thing of just fame. I think you do get some people where it is they are in a position just because they got lucky and they know like their family's an actor or something. But I think the stars who are all at the top place now, like a majority of them are extremely hardworking and do respect the craft. And you do see new people now taking on that role mm. and then becoming um, like, when you notice someone's not humble and he's just relying on their, their looks, you see that they slowly also phase away and they start yeah. getting into these B grade forms and stuff like yeah. that. So I think, I think the filter is there in terms of work and how hard you work. Cause if you're not, then you are going to fall by the wayside, I think. So I think who's on top deserves to be there. I think from an, from a sort of the other perspectives I've seen of like film stars and obviously in the sort of fame surrounding it and obviously I don't agree with like sort of the sort of paparazzi kind of culture of mm. it and that's a bit just let, let people be people. <laughs> um, but I think we're also coming from the point of view of like we really see the, the value and the experience and the craft and the hard mm. work that goes into it. But I've seen so many opinions that I think are ridiculous about when when a when a, a film star like says something like has a, a point of view on a matter right mm. that doesn't pertain to filmmaking 
then everyone in the comments and other people that I've known have been like, oh, why do we care about what they say? Why do we care about like, and it's like, because we're writing a piece about what they're saying, like we're analyzing what mm. they're saying in terms of the culture. Like, mm. yes, they're in that place. And you got to understand that you got to think about, are they using their platform that for some for like pro-social values or are their values terrible and should we criticize those values you know mm -hmm. i think it's very important to be able to like for anyone for people in those positions to be able to have the platform and then use that and then we're able to look at that platform and say are they doing good mm -hmm. <laughs> are they having like awful values so it's like that's why yeah. we that's why pieces are written about them yeah. and what they have to say so to answer the questions are movie stars more still important I yes. think yes. Yeah. <laughs> so another question on here is, is television the new cinema? Well, I think that going into like the, what, what started, what, what series did they say started it off? It was The Sopranos, right? Wasn't it? Oh, it could be. I was going to say House of Cards, but that was just on Netflix. Yeah, true. I think those two. Sopranos are like also... Bad. And um, what's yeah. that one of the of the wire as well? Yeah, went into this, led us into the sort of let's say the golden age of TV, mm. TV yeah. where people who don't experience a wide range of films and yeah. TV also say that because it's like if you only look at the mainstream films and then you only look at the mainstream television, the television started to get a lot better in terms of mainstream television versus mainstream film. But it's yeah. like you're only looking at mainstream film like look at other types of films from all around the world and you won't mm. say that it's the sort of the television is the best thing mm. that's happening at the moment yeah i so think i think that sorry just my finish the second point to it is that you do look at uh, what what i think is happening with with tv is that a lot of directors are going into a sort of longer form mm. uh, narrative and i think that's when tv gets like really exciting like with Barry Jenkins doing Underground Railroad. <laughs> I still need to watch them. Is Netflix, does Netflix count as TV? Yeah. Or are we, are we saying that TV is serialized, like episodic things? Are we saying that the platform yeah. is TV? I think because mm -hmm. Netflix is making movies, but you watch them on your TV. But Netflix movies are movies. <laughs> but it's no, still no, on your I TV. Think, I, I know, but I think, Spielberg yeah. said that crap, didn't he? About, <laughs> what is it? He said that anything that's on a streaming platform like regardless if it's tv or a film is like a tv movie well what i think that question i think that question doesn't mean like tv as in like broadcasting i think it's actually talking about like like series like i think it's talking about long long forms series, stories yeah so i think like because yeah because i think it's it's literally just talking about because i mean like you said films are still films no matter what they broadcast i think it is that is long, like series in general, like long form, is that with a new cinema, like not with a new, like where good stories are going, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for me, I, not some, like I used to agree with it. I like, I was just thinking of what Mark said, where he's like, okay, but if you're only looking at mainstream, then yes. But if, like you said, if you're looking at all the other kinds of films that's coming out, then, then no. But I do believe that there is a much bigger gate for filmmakers now with long form. And I think, that's why you said so many of like filmmakers have migrated to towards uh, film and, and I think for me as well, like I also like it makes me also want to tell stories now better as long as it's like 
a contained story. Like it's not this thing that goes on. Here's the thing, that, exactly. Like when that started, right? It was like this is going to be a limited series. It's going to be basically a long movie yeah. that we're going to split up. But then these streaming sites or the TV stations or whatever were like, yeah, but it's not really profitable for us because now we're building up this whole audience and then we're just losing them because there's no second season. Mm -hmm. So now the thing is that you have to have a, a show that can be multiple seasons. You can't just really mm -hmm. make... Like, what, what is the last limited series that actually got a full release? I don't, I don't think there is one. Every Like Netflix, Netflix I know has this thing where if you get a show um you have to make a second season within the uh, a year it has to release a year after the first season came out and it's, it's like, not limited series yeah there's quite a few limited. name what's the last one that came out like normal people was one on oh but that one, when was that, that was i think while. usually limited series that don't have a second season are like based on a book do they kind of do that stuff? Well, I'm talking I think about that's like, already inbuilt. See, I'm talking about stuff like Big Little Lies, right? That was supposed to be a limited series, one season, oh, yeah. done. And then the, the, this, who was it? Uh, Hulu, no? HBO, I don't know. And then the, the studios were like, oh, but wait, people really like this. Yeah. Let's make another yeah. season. Anyway, no, there was a lot of drama on that set. And it's I like, it. yeah. there didn't need to be another season. It was made to be a limited series. But it's not that anymore. I think you have a very good point to that. I think we're like, it's not how movie studios used to be when they wanted franchises and you just wanted to make, I think that's now the, the shift in with uh, series and streaming and stuff. Because if you look at Breaking Bad, that was meant to just be their five seasons and they made Better Call Saul. And if you look at... Uh, and the movie. Yeah. And then if you look at Game of Thrones, it was meant to just be that, like of the books. Now they're doing the prequels. And then if you look also at The Witcher that was meant to be on Netflix, that was also meant to be contained. Now they're also doing the prequels and the prequel movies. And so I think it is that thing with the mentality of franchising has now migrated from film into series, into, into the long form kind of thing is where I think there is that thing where now they're trying to be that thing where they, like even if it is a limited series, the studios will try and like, like juice off of it by trying to make something in the same universe or, or, or something along that, which I think sucks. But I think there are still like, really like there are still some limited series but I think there are that thing where, where the, the the people funding the shows are still like okay but can we maybe just set something aside or can we do like maybe something set with the kids or something like that so I think that shift has now changed because so much people are watching long form like it is the movies I think that same franchising mentality has followed as well because there was that period where it was just like limited limited but now they're trying to do all these different spin-offs you know I think that but like Queen's Gambit was a limited series oh that's true um, hmm. Underground Railroad but then I'm also just that, which is why I was thinking about books is that it tends I, I'm thinking that limited series are more being made that, that are based on books Oops, yeah. which are like sort of extended what would be film adaptations but now they're yeah. allowed to sort of cover the, the entire. entirety <laughs> of the book no, but, it's, um, yeah, but then uh, yeah and then it literally makes zero sense for them to make a sequel to that you know because it's like <laughs> there where is the book nothing, yeah. definitively ends but then which is what they i completely agree with you with big little lies which is also based on a book and then they made yeah, another one yeah. why yeah and i think just on that point on limited series based on books where like that's like the only avenue for it where like they're like okay this is where the story ends i also recently watched this thing not recently, like, I think it was in the holidays, uh, like, the same holidays with my girlfriend, when there's also this book about, I think it was called Behind Her Eyes, 
where it was also the show where they couldn't continue on and it was such a hectic cliffhanger, but I was so good about it. And because it was a book, that's why the show just ended. And I think I think that's it's a bit sad that they only do that when you like or mainly do that when it comes to books. Like I think they should also just trust the showrunners to be like, okay, this is where the narrative should end. But yeah, I think that's just my yeah, main Sorry, let's before we continue the what you just said reminded me of something that I thought was a really good idea. Um, the Haunting of Hill House, right? Yeah. That show on Netflix, um, that was supposed to be a limited series. And then Netflix was like, okay, let's do it season two. Yeah. And then they were like, instead of trying to continue that story, which just wouldn't have worked, they were like, yeah. let's take the same actors. So it's the same people that we kept, that we know, but let's put them in a totally new scenario which was The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is, I just realized, the same thing that they've been doing in American Horror Story for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's a good answer. I, I like, I think that's a good middle in between. Like, if you're making a limited series, do something in the same world, but that's a completely different story. It doesn't even have to be the same world. Like, if you look at Black Mirror as well, each episode is its own allegory kind of tale. But I, with that, when talking about Hill House, I don't know, for me, I was like, you should have just left it at season one. <laughs> Number Fair season enough. two was so predictable. And even you keep sending like us messages of how much you just feel like American Horror Story should just like end because sometimes... True, but I also I'm watching American Horror Story in reverse <laughs> because Netflix just started with season 10 and I didn't know. And then after season 10, it started with season nine and then eight. So I'm just watching them backwards. Yeah, he's watching but the prequels. <laughs> every new season is a prequel. But anyways... Let's move on. Oh, actually, you know what, guys? I think this is taking quite a while. So let's do this. We're going to stop this podcast here. And then we'll do a part two in two weeks from now. So we're going to continue talking now, but we'll release the video because otherwise it's just going to be too long. And thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to see the video version of our podcast, go straight to youtube.com slash pictures. And while you're there, check out the rest of our videos. We release filmmaking content every week. So yo, have a look at that and maybe hit that subscribe if you enjoy it. And also smash a like, it really helps us a lot. And we started a membership program. So if you'd like to support us, please um, have a look at that and see what tier you'd like to join. But until next time, go out there, stay safe and And make make your movie. movie.